This is the Emperor. You're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Eat it. Live long and prosper. Bad feeling about this. Tired of turning away from the things that I want to believe in. This is going to get pretty interesting. Define interesting. Oh God, oh God, we're all going to die? Only try to realize the truth. There is no spoon. We are at peace, always. You are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. And now, from the end of the universe, bringing you the latest in science fiction movies and television shows, here are your hosts. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode number 59. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. Hello, this is Miles P. McLaughlin. And we are bringing you tonight's episode on May 4th. And that's significant why? May the 4th be with you. Man, that joke was flying all over Twitter today. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember last year was doing it. And, you know, May 4th is a great place to kind of put in some Star Wars stuff, but we really are talking with a Star Trek author tonight, Richard C. White, and uh, we had an awesome interview with him a little bit earlier, didn't we, Miles? We had a great talk. Um, another guy making sci-fi happen. Oh, yeah, and it's uh, an avid fan himself. You could tell when you're talking to him. And, yeah. and this is the thing. I love interviewing people like this, and, you know, it's you know it's great. We, we interview all sorts of people on the show, but the people I like are the people that are fans, that are that are into the genre, that are, that are participating in it. It's just great. Mm-hmm. It's great so. to have people like this on the show. We have Iron Man 2 coming out this week. I'm so looking forward to that. Hey, and, uh, you know, I am too. I don't know. I, we're planning on Friday. Mm-hmm. I feel I didn't get a chance to talk to my wife. I'll have to talk to her, and I'll get back to you on that, Miles, as far as whether we're going to be actually doing it uh, on Friday, going to see it. But if you go to see it, we would love to hear your thoughts on Iron Man 2. You can share those thoughts by calling in at at one eight 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 five zero eight four three four three, or you can send us a MP3 file if you're overseas, or you just want to send us an MP3 file from your iPhone. You may do so, and you can send them to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at Gmail dot com. Well, we have a full menu tonight, um, and we're going to do the new the new segment. It's going to be a bit shorter because the interview is just a bit longer tonight. So we're going to try and do that in about fifteen minutes of news segment. But here's what we're hoping to get through tonight and what's on the menu. Uh, tonight, we're going to serve up an interview with Richard White, author of various writings in the Trek and comic book universe. We're going to give you a little bit of listener feedback. And uh, we have a signed print from Lee Arenberg to give away in our trivia this week. And we'll be revealing who wins at trivia. We have a couple of people that have answered that already. We're going to give you some updates on Legend of the Seeker. We told you last week that it was canceled. We're going to give you some clarification to that. We have some Fringe news, Batman 3 news, Star Trek 12 news, Dr. Harbaugh Blu-ray news, Flash Forward Thoughts, Sci-Fi The Phantom, Starman movie, Jonas Hex trailer, Slave Leah Bikini Car Wash. Mm, who doesn't want that? You did hear that, folks. Yes, and uh, Miles is going to give us uh, this week in Star Trek, what we're calling the twist, and Sci-Fi 5 and 5 will be given by Richard uh, White, and you don't want to miss it. It's a good one. Very good one. Well, let's move into some show news. Okay. I want to start with a little bit of listener feedback. I got this email from Jim Bassett, and he said this. So I'd like to listen to your recent 
uh, episode concerning Farscape, episode 55. I see your podcast only available in M, uh, M4A format. Uh, basically the format that you can play on, 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 on iPods only. Seeing as I have a non-Apple MP3 player, I'm no, uh, I'd have to convert the file. And yes, I've already loaded it into the player and it's not recognized. Not sure why you've chosen this format. I listen to six to eight podcasts per week and they're all available MP3s, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, just so you know, Jim, and, and the rest of you out there, that if you actually are encountering our shows in an MP4 or an M4A format, you can, we have an MP3 feed available both on our website at sci-fi-diner-podcast.com and in iTunes. So if you find that you download our show and you can't play it because it's, you know, iPod friendly only, we do have the show available in two formats, MP3 and M4A. Reason we do M4A is M4A gives you a lot of uh, versatility as far as chapters and being able to skip ahead and put embed images into the podcast. And so we like that sort of thing, but we do recognize that not everyone has that capability. And so we put it out in the MP3 version as well. And you can again find both versions available at the sci-fi diner podcast, uh, dot com. So I think that clarifies that, doesn't I think, it? Yes, yes. That should, that should definitely work. Um, well, Miles, in other show news, we want to thank our friend Chris from Subspace Communique. Uh, he is letting his uh, readers know about um, our, our interview with Lee Ehrenberg uh, that we had um, uh, put with our last week's show. Uh, he's been very kind enough to, um, whenever we have a Star Trek related uh, something in our show or interview, he's very quick to uh, put that on his uh, site. So, we've Chris, thank you very much for doing that. Oh, maybe we'll have to see if he'll do the whole Richard. White interview as well. I, I don't see why he wouldn't. No. Uh, and he's also there's another, another uh, sci-fi news site called Geek Blips, and uh, he must be uh, letting them know about that as well because I saw that on, on Geek Blips. So, uh, want to thank you both for doing that for us. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, we we love when people kind of share a little bit about us, and we love to always obviously share about what they're doing as well. He has a good site, just a little over a year old, year yes. year a month old. Mm-hmm. They celebrated their one year anniversary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Th- Thanks again, Chris. I did, a, did a that with Miles. Miles, let's get into our trivia. Okay, since we talked about uh, the fourth being, may the fourth be with you, uh, our, our question was a Star Wars re- related one. What Star Wars Episode One City was first mentioned in a Timothy Zahn novel? Uh, so if you are uh, a Star Wars fan and you've read uh, some of the, the Star Wars novels that were put up by Timothy Zahn, you would have noticed this when you've seen Episode One. Right. So, Miles, what can they win if they answer this correctly? Um, we have a signed Lee Ehrenberg Pirates of the Caribbean print. Yes, and uh, and he played what role in Pirates? Uh, he was Pintel. Pintel, and so hello, pop it right. If you listen yep. to episode uh, our episode fifty eight of Sci Fi Diner, you can uh, hear that interview and hear him talk about playing that role. You have again, you have a one week left to answer this question. You want to send your answer in to the Sci Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com or again call us at one eight 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 five oh eight four three four three or DM us on Twitter at the Sci Fi Diner or Son of Wharf or Herzog or any of the ways we obviously talk about doing that. Well we're gonna hang into some of our news here. Before we do that we do want to pay a promo from we, we like to play podcast promos. If you're a podcast from what your promo play in the show just let us know. We're going to listen to a promo by our good friend, Kevin Batchelder, from Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV. So, Ghost infected Frank. He passed it on to the other guys, and I got it from his corpse. Right. Hello, Echo. How are you feeling? Did I fall asleep? For a little while. Previously on Heroes. 
I wish there was some way to find out what's really worth watching. There is. What? Who? What was that? Tuning into Sci-Fi TV is the viewer's guide to genre television. Where is that coming from? With its spoiler-free quick reviews and water cooler and the spoiler-filled in-depth back porch discussions, Tuning into Sci-Fi TV is the only resource fans need to know what's on, what's good, and what's coming soon in science fiction and fantasy television. How did you get into my house? Join Kevin, Wendy, and Brent each week for the latest in genre television. I'm calling the police. Uh, you can find Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV at TuningIntoSciFiTV.com. No, seriously. How did you get into my house? Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Well, we're going to start off with a little bit of TV news, Miles. We mentioned last week The Legend of the Seeker was indeed canceled. Finis. Now, uh, we got some more information. This, again, came from Kevin Batchelder, who talked about it last week. And he said there is nothing official that says they've canceled, but there are some people that have said stuff that suggests it's canceled. Uh, Michael uh, Asilio, I believe is the way you say it, posted enter- an Entertainment Weekly reporter, basically said Legend Seeker is canceled, and hey, he hasn't been wrong in the past when he said his show has been canceled, and so that's why I guess people are believing it. And Bridget Reagan also posted something on her Twitter account, which basically said, see you guys later, I loved working with you. And that all seems to suggest that this, is, this show has been canceled. Yep. Now, as always, as it was with Firefly and many other shows, when they cancel, when they threaten to cancel shows, people write in, and there is some fan action rising up to kind of stop this cancellation. We'll see if that works. But we, of course, were hoping for that for Termin- Terminator uh, and yeah. uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles. It never happened. But uh, it's always good to see the fans getting involved with their shows. There's a lot of other news surrounding this, Miles. Mm-hmm. But you also visit the website because we don't have time to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But any comments on this? Uh, the fans have saved many a sci-fi show. So uh, if you're a fan of the show, you know, you know, write in. It, it brought back a season three of Chuck. Right. And so it does work. Mm-hmm. Not always, but it does does work. Uh, well, let's talk about Flash Forward real briefly. Um, something that you and I are very excited about, uh, James Callis, uh, better known as Gaius Baltar from uh, Battlestar Galactica. He is uh, he has a role in it uh, in the show. He's been in the last two episodes. Uh, uh, playing Gabriel McDowell um, in the two episodes, Course Correction and the Garden of uh, Forking Paths. Um, so he plays a uh, character who's been experimented on with the flash forwards. He's had one too many. Right. And he's, uh, he's a bit crazy. He's a little out to lunch, but it doesn't totally, not totally dissimilar to guys Baltar for that matter. Not totally dissimilar, but, um, you definitely see his acting chops, um, in in this. I loved him. I love, I loved seeing him here and I felt like it was coming home to a familiar character. It it was great seeing him on TV. Yeah. Yeah. In other news, sci-fi just announced that, uh, a one four-hour movie event, The Phantom, will air on Sunday, June 20th from 7 to 11 p.m. And uh, we, of course, just got done talking about Riverworld. And my question was, knowing how sci-fi makes movies, do we care? And 
or am I coming down? And the other question is, am I coming down too hard in sci-fi? Um, the sci-fi channel. Yeah. That way. Now, now, is this Phantom movie? Is this based on the comic? That's my understanding. Okay. The understanding. Well, there's a there's a Phantom movie with Bill, the live action one with Billy Zane in it about. Wow, uh, we're talking um, at least 15 years ago, if not more. Uh, wasn't bad. It was it was wasn't bad. Uh, so I'll be curious to see what they do with this. Yeah, I, you know, I just after Riverworld and knowing too that there have been a few movies uh, that Sci-Fi Channel has done that have really stood out. Mm-hmm. Tin Man, I think, is one of them that people often hearken as being a good one. Uh, was Children of Dune and Dune part of that? The TV series was it? I think I, I know it aired on Sci-Fi, and I think I they think it had a lot to do with that one. Yeah, and I think that was one. And Earthsea, the Earthsea. Uh, uh, trilogy was, uh, I think, another one that people just kind of it had the uh, it had uh, Lana Lana Lang. From, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Christian Croix. Yes, it was it was in it, mm-hmm. and that that was good. And all these are hailed as being kind of classic sci-fi. When I say sci-fi here, the Siffy Channel, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, classic movies. But I'm overall not real impressed with sci-fi movies. Love their TV shows. Sure, sure. Um, I guess it depends on you know when this could be. A, they're trying to make a serious effort. I think they try to make a serious effort with Riverworld. Yeah, I mean, it looks like they had, they they got some good actors, got a good budget, but and, and the movie overall, when we say Riverworld, it wasn't terrible. No, it, it just wasn't as engaging as maybe we hoped it would be. I think we we probably had too high expectations. Uh, maybe maybe so. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, fringe news, Miles. Fringe news. Um, there was an interview. Um, with uh, Leonard Nimoy, uh, William Bell himself, uh, that, that uh, Sci-Fi on, Online did. So uh, we do caution you, there are uh, spoilers ahead. Yeah, and we are not going to necessarily read the spoilers right now, but we'll have them posted on our website. But he does talk a lot about what, Miles? Um, well, the second season finale. Um, it looks like the pieces are falling together for a major resolution of William Bell, Walter Bishop's storyline, and guest star, uh, Leonard Nimoy offered us a preview of the fireworks interview. Um, they sat down with uh, the 79-year-old uh, acting legend with a couple other reporters during a visit to the Fringe set last month in Vancouver, Canada. Um, so uh, there is an interview with um, with Leonard Nimoy about uh, what's going to go on. And there's a lot of spoilers. So if you don't want to be spoiled, don't check out our show notes or skip over them when mm-hmm. you get to this part. Um, but we will have this in, and it's kind of fascinating. It makes me really look forward to seeing what's going to happen here at the end of the season. We're, of course, huge Fringe fans. It, it keeps getting better and better. Right. Well, let's move into some movie news here, Miles. Okay. Let's talk about Starman, the movie. Okay. Uh, another DC superhero may take flight on the big screen. Uh, according to uh, uh, Pajba, Warner Brothers and Lynn Productions may be collaborating on an adaptation of Starman. While the rumors is currently unconfirmed, the story states that the project is being produced by uh, Daniel Lin, who, who uh, produced Sherlock Holmes, and, and Gregory Novak, uh, who is producing Jonah Hex. The first Starman was created in, in 1941 by artist uh, uh, Jack Burnley, along with the editors uh, Ellsworth, uh, Murray Boltman, uh, Jack Schiff, Mort uh, Weisinger, and Bernie uh, Bleslauer. While the rumor doesn't state which version of Starman would be featured in the film, it does say the characters used will be wield a gravity rod and have energy powers and likely be able to fly. Well, sounds good. Now, you are familiar with the version of Starman when? This was back in 83. It was Jeff Bridges and Karen Allen. Um, it was, you know, um, an alien comes to Earth type movie, sort of an E.T. almost because, you know, he had you know he had to get, you know, 
He had to go home at the end. Well, so. now, let me ask you this. Was that Starman, the DC character? I don't believe it was. I think this is probably a totally different... This uh, is, might be a totally different... But same movie name, and this deals more with... This is a DC comic book character, it sounds like. Right. Which I'm not that familiar with. This, this is maybe losing. Name. I may be losing some geek cred. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I was not a huge comic book fan growing up. So it makes sense here. Mm-hmm. But anyway, with Jonah Hex and Sherlock Holmes, we just were ter- we didn't talk about it tonight, but I just got on watching Sherlock Holmes. Loved it. Uh, Jonah Hex has the potential to be good. Mm-hmm. You know, Megan Fox, can't go wrong. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Uh, but but uh, anyway, I, I, think it, I think it could be good. And talking about Jonah Hex, he just released the, uh, the latest trailer online. We're going to have a link to that in our show notes and play. Uh, and and uh, I'll, maybe I'll embed it so you can actually watch it in our show notes. But the trailer itself uh, is now online. It has Joss Brolin, Megan Fox, and John Malkovich all Great actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Malkovich, of course, is you know a classically trained actor. Has made his way online. You can check it out. And Broyles is in it. You'll know Broyles. I don't know his real name here, but mm-hmm. Broyles from Fringe is in John Hacks. And so, if you're a fan of him, he's in there. It sounds like it'll be good. Yeah. And uh, Batman Three. Just uh, some quick news here. Batman Three is set for July twentieth, two thousand twelve. We know those dates are always a bit flexible. And that is showing two weeks after the new Spidey and three weeks after Star Trek 2. So if that is true, what that means is we have a blockbuster summer coming up in 2012. Good. It's unfortunate that we have to wait till then. I know. It's it's two more years. You know, right after we watch it, the world's going to end anyways. That's what they say. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know. Hopefully we get those movies in before, you know. You know, we are not going to be able to see The Hobbit because The Hobbit's going to, you know, December, end of December is when The Hobbit comes out. So That's not good. So, sorry, guys. Hobbit's out. Uh, They say Marvel's, uh, the only other piece of news from that story that's kind of interesting is the the Marvel's high profile, The Avengers, also opens earlier that summer on May 4th. Mm -hmm. Great, great movie summer. At At least it seems to be. Well, th- th- three huge super superhero movies. I mean, can't go wrong. Yeah, well, and Superman reboot is being targeted for Christmas 2012. Miles, let's round out with a little bit of DVD news. All right, this is something that uh, Scott and I are both uh, excited about. Uh, Dr. Harwell comes to Blu-ray in glorious high definition. Here is the lowdown what special features are included in the Blu-ray edition. Cast and crew commentaries. A commentary of the musical. Quite possibly one of the best commentaries on any DVD. Behind-the-scenes featurettes, the Evil League of Evil video applications submitted by fans, three Easter eggs, blooper reel, rehearsal footage, and interviews with the members of the Evil League of Evil. Uh, Dr. Harbaugh's sing-along blog is 42 minutes of musical genius with a whopping 92 minutes of special features. Uh, buy on Blu-ray, pre-order for uh, $13.99, or rather the DVD version sells for $10.99. Not a bad price. Oh, no, uh, not at all. I don't know if I'm going to pick it up, but definitely worth maybe renting at the very least. Yeah, I want to see it on Blu-ray, yeah. yeah. Our last piece of news before we go into this week in Star Trek, this came from Kevin Batchelder, though Miles said that he rented his piece of news. Uh, the Slave Leah Bikini Car Wash for Charity. Mm-hmm. So uh, what a way to get your car washed. We're going to have a link in our show notes, and you may want to check this out. Um, it is what... Uh, R-rated, PG-13, or very least. At least PG-13. Yes, it is. um, Certainly, if you want to get your car washed right, you want Leia doing it in a slave bikini. That's enough said. Uh, Every every man's dream. (laughs) Yes. 
Yes. Every nerd's every nerd's dream. <laughs> yes. I was going to go somewhere with that, but I won't. So, uh, well, let's move into this week in Star Trek. This week in Star Trek. All right. This week in Star Trek news. Um, uh, we at the Sci-Fi Diner podcast uh, do support uh, the, the fan film uh, efforts. And uh, there's a new one that uh, just uh, premiered uh, this last Sunday. Um it's called a Star Trek uh, Phoenix. Long-awaited pilot to the fan series, uh, Star Trek Phoenix launched last Sunday, the brainchild of, of executive producer Leo Roberts. Star Trek Phoenix takes place uh, some 40 years after the events of, uh, of Star Trek Nemesis and is comprised of more than 150 volunteers throughout the Seattle, Washington area. pilot titled uh, Cloak and Dagger takes place in uh, 2422, one year into the maiden voyage of the Phoenix. Um, so... You could probably uh, download it or watch it on their site. Uh, looks very interesting. Looks, looks good. I've heard some good stuff about it. I'm going to have to check it out. I was unaware of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, some William Shatner news. Uh, some of you may have heard this already, but uh, William Shatner, um, he talks, uh, if you go to uh, StarTrekMovie.com, uh, they have the, a more uh, detailed article, but uh, uh, he talks about uh, the, the sequel, saying that he's going to, you know, he's going to be hard to get with J.J. Uh, Abrams to, to get into it. He, he jokes. Uh, but he is uh, being kind of half considered for the governor general uh, honorific position in Canada, and uh, he's being touted for that. Um, he has a new sitcom in the works, and um, also there's a, a YouTube video of him um, on the Michael Douglas show. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Well, we'll have a link to that uh, posting in our mm-hmm. show notes, and you'll want to check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. This really is not my segment, Miles, but I began watching the Next Generation series. As I mentioned later on in the Richard White interview, mm-hmm. and I watched the first three episodes of this one, and uh, here are my thoughts, my mini reviews on disc one. Um, in the Farpoint episode, DeForest Kelly's in it, right? He makes and, yeah. and he makes kind of, and the appearance of Bones as an admiral is kind of a nice touch there. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. I love the the whole comment that he refuses that he. That they, they took him by a shuttlecraft. Yeah. Because he hates transporters and they make allusion to that in some of the movies. Mm-hmm. Subsequently that he hates, you know, the transporter beams. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't trust him. And so I really like the way they played and kept that whole character working. Um, I really wanted to title this episode The Jellyfish at Farpoint. Oh but, yeah. But, uh, I didn't, and, and also just wondered, Miles, since you're the expert here, um, the other starship was called the Hood. Mm-hmm. Do we ever see the Hood anywhere else in the Star Trek universe? Um, we will see that later in. Um, there's like one more episode where we will see that. I don't remember the name of it. It's in like. Uh, but it's a ne- next gen episode. It's a next gen. The, the, the Hood is an Excelsior class starship. And uh, in episode two, the Naked Now. Uh, the only thing I'm going to say about this is Data's line. There was a young lady from Venus whose body was shaped like a... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. I will stop then. Episode three, best part about Code of Honor was girl-on-girl action. I mean, the fight. Mm-hmm. The girl-on-girl fight for, for honor. And that right. Was, and that was it. And so that's where I'm at right now, and uh, Netflix is sending the next DVD my way. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I have... Uh, six episodes of Defying Gravity queued up. I never got a chance to really finish that show because they cut it off early here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of it. So I'm going to be watching that. Nice. So there you go. That's the twist for this week. That is the twist.
We want to give you our last podcast promo for tonight. And last week you heard Fringe Casting with Wayne and Dan, their promo. Well, they also do a promo. They also do a podcast for Lost. No. And this is called Lost Casting with Wayne and Dan. And so here's our promo. All right, I apologize if this is confusing, but let's pay attention, yes? You've probably heard that this is the final season of the best show ever to appear on television, Lost. However, there are and will be for some time plenty of Lost thoughts and theories to discuss, and we'd like to have you share them with us at the Lost Casting with Wayne and Dan podcast. I'm Wayne. And I'm Dan, Metal Dan on Twitter. Check out Lost Casting at MediaVoiceOvers.com slash Lost in iTunes, the Zoom Marketplace, etc. Then call us with your Lost Thoughts on our listener line, area code 206-984-1446. Ladies and gentlemen, we are speaking with a gentleman who could definitely be called a Renaissance man who not only writes but has done some teaching, has had a very distinguished career in the U.S. Army, was currently working as a technical writer and writing sci-fi and fantasy. Ladies and gentlemen, we are delighted to be talking to sci-fi fiction author Richard C. White. Richard, welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Again, thank you very much for inviting me on. Yeah. We're very delighted to have you. Yeah. Now, now, one question I have just right off the bat, and looking at some of your books, is it Richard C. White or just Richard White? Uh, I... I, I usually Richard Richard C. White just because there's a couple of other Richard Whites out there who are who write nonfiction, and it just uh, was something to uh, set me aside from the others. Well, hey, it works. It works definitely. <laughs> uh, well, let's start off by just talking about some of you're into sci-fi. Why? Let me. Let, why sci-fi for you? Well, I I've I started out. I mean, as a kid, you know, not only was I. Uh, reading, you know, the usual stuff, you know, the Hardy Boys, the Black Stallion Adventures, things like that. But my uh, folks introduced me to uh, the Reader's Digest uh, Best Love books. I think it's mainly a way to get me out of their hair. <laughs> and uh, I started reading some of the stories, you know, Ivanhoe, Robin Hood, uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, The Time Machine. And I just really found... Uh, there was something about those stories that just resonated with me, and it was it was fun to, you know, uh, let your imagination go and and try and put yourself in that you know, imagine you know being on the submarine with the kraken attacking it or uh, uh, trying to rescue people from the Morlocks underground. It, it was it was pretty heady stuff for you know, a kid. And that was kind of uh, and, and and so the idea of imagination and, and and you know picturing these worlds is kind of what drew you into the whole idea of sci-fi. Well, it, it was that, and and again, you know, being uh, probably a little older than your average uh, listener, I mean, you know, we had our where I grew up in the Midwest, we had our one network on TV. We could watch NBC. We could get two radio stations, and so entertainment was what you made right. more than uh, more than what you got off the TV. So my brother and I used to uh, do a lot of, you know, uh, pretend type games. You know, uh, we, you know, we, of course, you know, we, we played Soldier. We played Star Trek once Star Trek came out on TV. 
you know, we were able to, um, you know, just, it was just, you know, you, you kind of had to make up your own games as you went along. So who would you say your earliest influences uh, when it comes to sci-fi would be? Well, like I said, you know, originally I would have had to say, you know, like the, uh, you know, like the uh, Jules Verne, H.G. Wells. Again, I was reading some of the classical sci-fi stuff first. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first first sci-fi author, though, I really got into uh, when I was a little older was uh, Asimov. Oh, I love uh, Asimov. Found the uh, Foundation Trilogy sort of by accident. I had gone to visit a friend, and they were weren't going to be able to actually pick me up for a couple of hours. So I went over and got the biggest book that this bookstore had at the time. It was it was it was, and it just happened to be a, a bound set of the Foundation trilogy. And so just sort of by accident, there it was, and I immediately started buying everything of Asimov that I could get my hands on, and that led me you know, obviously to you know Clark. Brad, Barry, and then of course Tolkien slipped in there once I hit college, and it was all kind of downhill from there. Yeah, well, those are some awesome, awesome, awesome pieces. I I know that for me, I hit the Asimov collection through short stories, and then hit the Foundation series, and you know, in the the Robot series, and the entire uh, journey of the Robot Daniel. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the whole idea, you know, the the three laws of robotics. I mean, you know how now not everybody follows those, but it, but it seemed like there for a while. You know, that was, even if you weren't Asimov, you followed Asimov's rules. <laughs> right. Oh, sure. Right. Uh, heard them on, on Buck Rogers, heard them on Star Trek. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so, so that, that's the book. When did, um, what, did, what would you say the media influences in, in science fiction would be, you know, apart from the literary? Well, let's see. I mean, you know, as a kid, I was watching, uh, Star Trek. Right. Uh, I actually got to see the original, I mean, the original series in the original, uh, which was kind of fun. Cause, but you had to track them down because the station we had we, would inevitably preempt them for a basketball game or a football game or something. You know, uh, they'd re- rather rerun a football game on than than show the Star Trek episode. I never did quite understand that. Um, and then, you know, catching stuff at the movies, you know, uh, I remember going to see 2001, A Space Odyssey, Space Odyssey, Oddity is Bowie's song, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, you know, Logan's Run was, uh, was a lot of fun back then, uh, and then, of course, I would, on a Saturday, I, when I would go up to visit my uh, aunt and uncle who lived just outside of St. Louis, they had uh, an old station, uh, uh, KPRL, which was an independent station. That meant that they were they had to fill time by showing a lot of old movies. So I got to see a lot of uh, what I would call definitely uh, B movies, uh, stuff like you know The Valley of Guanji, or uh, It Came from Outer Space. Um, you know, there were just just a lot of the old black and white science fiction movies when I was a kid growing up. Hmm. And as a matter of fact, I, I'm kind of uh, funny. I, mean, I I love some of the stuff they're doing nowadays with all the special effects. I mean, there's stuff that you know, I mean, people would you know would have killed for to be able to do back in the '60s. But in some way, I kind of liked the the old black and white movies a little bit better because they couldn't rely on. You know the fancy effects. They actually had to tell a story, right? 
And, I, and, and, and that's so true. I, I don't know if you saw the uh, uh, the movie 2012 that came out this past year, I guess a little over a year, I guess in the fall. But, you know, that movie relied solely on effects. It would not have survived with just characters telling a story. Well, and, and the same thing, I mean, I'll, I mean, I'll never give, you know, I'll never say James Cameron can't make a movie, but if he hadn't had the CGI and the 3D, I mean, would Avatar have done as well at the theaters? Probably not. Uh, you know, I mean, it was just, I mean, it was, it was like people were going, oh man, you got to see the movie. They do this, they do this. I say, okay, well, what's the story about? Well, but they do this and they <laughs> do this and they blow this up. And I'm like, but, you know, where's the story? And, and now I'm not saying it wasn't a bad story, but people didn't remember the story because they got so caught up in all the effects and stuff. And, right. you know, I mean, a good movie takes full advantage of the effects and you still remember what the heck the story was about. Hmm. It's interesting. My wife and I still enjoy the old Twilight Zones. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, even... And there are other later incarnations of the Twilight Zones, but I don't think they hold a candle to um, what they did back in the 60s. No, uh, oh, oh, uh, in, uh, especially like uh, Demon with a Glass Hand, or yeah. uh, I can't remember the name of the – I can't, uh, and I'm, I hate the fact I can't remember the name of it, but I remember the one uh, with the cornfield where they, you know, if, you made, if you made the kid mad, he would whisk you out to the cornfield. Oh, right. Was that the one Billy Mowley was in? Billy Mummies, and and the thing is, you never actually saw anything, and it still scared the heck out of you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and, and see, and that's another reason I like the older movies as opposed to some of the new stuff, especially like in some of the old the horror movies, because everything happened just off screen, and you can scare yourself worse than anybody can ever scare you on screen. Yeah, and I think that, that it really forced people to use their imaginations much more than just spoon feeding it to us in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I, I, mean, I agree. I mean, Twilight Zone and also Night Gallery uh, was there. Were, there were some really now some you know like anything else you know anytime you're doing you know uh, an anthology whether it's a TV show or or a book you know some things are stronger than others. But boy, when when they hit one out of the park on on a show like that, they really hit it out of the park. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, your background, you spent a fair amount of time in the military. How long were you in the military? I was uh, 15 and a half years. How has being a military uh, man, how, would that, how has that influenced what you write or the way you perceive uh, the way you write? Well, the first, actually, my very first Star Trek story was... Uh, <coughs> I got it because of my military experience. Uh, Keith and I, I, I was talking to Keith. I knew he was doing uh, some work with Star Trek. And I, I was just like, well, like, you know, how would I get about, you know, pitching something to Star Trek? And he goes, well, you know, it's, you know, they've got most of the books, you know, booked out two or three years in advance. Said, but he's like, but we do have this ebook series. And hang on a second. You were a linguist in the Army. Yeah. And uh, you were a analyst in the army, yeah. And uh, you were a crypt analyst, weren't you? And I said, yeah, I worked. I, I did that. He goes, well, we got this guy on this in this in this ebook series who's he's a linguist and he's an analyst. And he's a crypt analyst, and uh, I think you could probably do something with his character. Um, and I'm, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I think I could probably do something <laughs> with that. 
<laughs> and so, so what he wanted me to do was they were doing a story about what the guy did before he joined the Corps of Engineers, where when he was in Starfleet Intelligence. And so I, I uh, decided to take a story from World War II, uh, which was the bombing of Coventry, and move that forward in time to having an incident uh, similar to that situation where everybody knows that this place is about to get attacked and Starfleet lets it get attacked because they don't want to lose the intelligence source. Interesting. Because mm-hmm. if they had gone and intercepted the fleet before it got there, the only way they could have Starfleet could have known was if they were listening into this other pl- places in you know communications. So they had to basically weigh: is this more important than you know the possible losses we'll take in another spot? Mm. And you know uh, Bart Falwell had to uh, live with the effects of that, you know, knowing that he had done everything he was supposed to, and and people still died anyway. You know, if you really think about Star Trek in general, there's such a uh, military structure and order to the universe and the way the ships operate and and how they're held accountable or how they – one of the things that makes it interesting is, of course, when they kind of, uh, you know, blatantly disregard their – you know, who they're accountable to. But the, that obviously plays into uh, – is very militaristic as far as the order and the organization of it. And that and actually kind of brings up some interesting debates amongst the authors because some people really see the idea of Starfleet as being anachronistic because, you know, it should be, you know, very democratic, you know. And then a few of us like Dayton and myself will go, yeah, but somebody's got to be in charge. You know, right. I mean, I mean, you, the Picard character calling everybody together and, oh, we got to have a meeting, you know. Dude, by the time you get done with your meeting, you've probably lost both your warp, you know, your warp nacelles, you know, because, you know, somebody's just got to say, shoot now. Right. And that was the only problem I ever had really with uh, Next Gen. And what I, one reason I probably liked Original and uh, Deep Space Nine a little more than I did Next Gen because Cisco was not going to call a committee meeting. <laughs> Cisco was like, we're doing this, we're doing it now, and if you don't like it, talk to me after you're done doing it. Right. And uh, I mean, and I, th- I think that's you know, I mean, anytime you have people in a situation like that, there, no matter how democratically you want it to be, no matter how utopian you expect it to be, somebody's still got to be in charge, and um, you know, um, and someone's got to take the responsibility if if it goes wrong. I think Star Trek, when it was, you know, told a story that way, I. I, I I think it was more satisfying. I mean, I know it was supposed to be their explorers. That was interesting at times, but I, I think they, they created a lot more drama when they're engaged in a, like the Dominion War, they're fighting the border or something like that. I think, uh, um, I don't know, just uh, I seem to enjoy it more when, when they when they went that way. Well, I, well, I think, I mean, I, mean, I like the uh, some of the exploration uh, stories also like you're talking about, but when you have to make a decision and you know people live people die based on what you decide 
you know, that's, that's, I mean, that is drama right there. You know, I mean, that's the ultimate in, uh, you know, pushing people to their limits. And, uh, I mean, and, and I, and I, I like a good, calm, slow episode every so often too. I like a good, you know, some good character development. But there's sometimes when you just, uh, you push the adrenaline up a notch mm-hmm. that, uh, you really, uh, connect with your audience. Hmm. And, that, and that's, and that's, and that's, uh, that's a true, you need that intensity to kind of, uh, keep the audience. You can't always be exploring the, uh, the, the new world or always developing the character. It's at least, at least, at least in science fiction it ends up becoming uh, part of the reason I know I'm into science fiction is not only the exploration in the new worlds, but the encounters with the creatures and the encounters with the races and the conflict that that ensues because of it. Well, I mean, that's, and that's like, you know, was it Hawking's that his, his interview he had just uh, last week, he was pointing out the fact that, you know, we may not want to be, broadcasting out to the universe saying here we are because he said the kind of people who would likely show up here are either nomads or conquerors. Right. So why are we, why are we painting a target on ourselves? <laughs> now, the, the guys, the guys from SETI obviously disagree with Mr. Hawkins, but, right. or Dr. Hawkins, but, um, you know, um, he does have a point. Yeah. Well, other than some of your, other than some of your, uh, the, other than the Star Trek uh, Corps of Engineers that you that we just talked about, what other what are some other pieces that you've written that uh, the fans might be interested in? Um, let's see. Well, I did have a I had another Star Trek story in uh, the Sky's the Limit, their uh, uh, anthology for uh, next gen, uh, for next gen that came out a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, I did. I, I had a, the great honor to get to do a uh, Doctor Who short story uh, called uh, uh, The Price of Conviction uh, that came out in one of their short trips anthologies, um, which was a lot of fun because I got to do uh, the first doctor meeting Martin Luther told from Susan's point of view. Ooh, that would be interesting. But uh, but I I was having a lot of fun trying to channel uh, the first doctor. I could just, you know, imagine, you know, grabbing the lapels (laughs) As he used to do, right? Yeah, and, and, and trying and try, and trying to find a way to, to trying to find a way to write those verbal ticks into the story without being, you know, over the top. But I mean, but if you don't put in the mannerisms of the doctor, I mean, you know, because each one of the doctors had their own little thing that they brought to the show beyond right. just being the doctor, and it's really it was really kind of a and, and with doing the first doctor was. A little harder because so much of that uh, tape was destroyed by the BBC to make room for more tape. So there's only there's only not a whole lot of first Doctor stuff out there, yeah, which uh, is sad because uh, oh, it is some, very sad. That's a, that was some good classic stuff. Now, are you keeping up with the Doctor? Um, I have followed some of it. I, I, I the the problem is is I don't watch as much now that I've you know starting. I'm trying to write more, I find I have less time to keep up with things on television. Yeah. Outside of maybe just turning something on for in the background. Right. Right. Um, and I, I see a couple other things. I mean, I've written a couple other things, but both of them are out of print at the moment. I did a, uh, uh, a novel based on Gauntlet Dark Legacy, the video game. Right. And, uh, I also had a short story that, uh, my first short story was a, uh, Incredible Hulk. 
where I got to do the Hulk as an Avenger. Ooh. Which was interesting considering the Hulk was on, was in Avengers 1 and got kicked out at the end of Avengers 2. So I got to do Avengers 1 and a half. Oh, there you go. Five years before the comic book Avengers 1 and a half came out. I saw the animated uh, movie they made out, out of that. That was, that, that was pretty good. Oh yeah, and I'm I'm really enjoying the uh, the uh, the. I have to admit I'm enjoying the Marvel uh, movies that have been coming out. I mean, especially compared to those early early Marvel movies. Oh. Right. <laughs> um, I, I actually saw the uh, I saw the uh, a, a clip from the Fantastic Four movie that never was. Oh yeah, we are we are so glad it was never was. I heard something that, that like the producers or somebody paid. A million dollars to make sure it was off the shelves, so it couldn't be, you know, released or something like that. I mean, well, was, it, well, it never actually was officially released, but there were a few copies floating around, and they actually tried to hunt them, hunt all those down and buy them back. Mm-hmm. Just you mm-hmm. know, please, that never happened. You never saw that. <laughs> how 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 to how how the uh, how the uh, movie studio knows when to screwed up, huh? Oh yeah, big time. Well, I mean, well, I mean, because I, mean, I remember the original Punisher movie, and, and I mean, and people people can say what they want to about this latest Punisher movie. The first one was worse. The one with Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And or the original cat, that first Captain America movie they made, which I think went straight to television. Ugh. There, there were some really not good Marvel movies in the uh, in the eighties uh, and early nineties. They seem to be learning their lesson now, though. I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, when they when they rebooted everything with the Spider Man and then X Men, that really they 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 went out. They got you know they they paid the money it took to get the right directors and the right screenwriters, mm-hmm. and and that makes a lot of difference. Right? And and of course, you know, uh, having uh, Captain Picard as Professor Xavier seems you know incredibly appropriate. Oh yeah, I can't see anybody now play uh, Xavier. Um, which which uh, which apparently they had a lot of fun with in uh, when they did the book Planet X. Oh yes, uh, I've read that one. Yeah, where where they have uh, you know uh, Picard and Xavier meet and and no, just happen to people happen to notice a more than uh, uh, similar you know the, how similar they look. Mm-hmm. Which was not as bad though as the first uh, X Men Star Trek crossover, which was with the original series. Right. And you had Doctor, you had Doctor McCoy and Doctor McCoy. <laughs> okay. With uh, the Beast as uh, Hank McCoy, and then uh, obviously Bones from Star Trek. Okay. All right. I'll have to track that down. That looks like it might still be a fun read. Oh yeah. So, so you know, we uh, kind of interrupted your evening here to do this little podcast thing we're doing here, uh, and you are currently working on writing some new material. What are we? Uh, what's up for you in the future as far as writing goes? Well, see, right now I'm uh, sort of in between projects. Um, I haven't. I mean, I have the part of the Dead Tree version of my book coming out this fall. Uh, they have the, uh, it's called What's Past, and they've collected up the six uh, SCE stories and are, re- are releasing them now as a uh, trade paperback. Uh, but I am currently don't have anything for, for Star Trek or uh, any other any other uh, tie-in stuff under contract at the moment. 
Uh, I'm working on uh, some original stuff that uh, one of them is a uh, military sci-fi kind of in the, uh, if you're a fan of Hammer Slammers, you might enjoy this because I'm, again, falling back on my military career. I'm, I'm basically doing a uh, armored cavalry unit in space. Okay. And then I've also got some uh, original fantasy work that I've been working on. Uh, as I like to call it, it's uh, Indiana Jones meets Call of Cthulhu. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. See, the professor shouldn't have opened that door. <laughs> no, no, obviously. Yeah, that well, that sounds uh, that sounds fascinating. I, I know that I just got done reading through Dayton Ward's um, uh, World of War. Yeah, uh, not his latest one. That was great. Of course, he has. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, he, yeah. He's, he's, he's a former Marine. Yeah. So. So, which is why we had to pick on each other. It's not some former Army. <laughs> right, right. I mean, come on. No competition there at all. No, none whatsoever. That's what, that's what. Well, well, that's kind of cool. And so, any any ideas? Are we looking at a year down the road of seeing some of your original fiction come out? Is this going to be. Um, uh, well, I expect to get the. Uh, I expect to have the, uh, uh, the military sci fi book done here in about a month. But then it's not. But then it's uh, time to. I'm I'm going to have to do what I haven't done yet, which is try to find an agent. And now, even because even though I've done the tie-in work, agent that that will get an agent to look at my stuff. Right. But I still have to prove that I can. You know, because they say, well, uh, you know, how hard is it to write side? You know, tie-in stuff. I mean, you already got the whole world and everything. You just got to do this. I'm like. Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, that <laughs> does so, that does bring up another question. I know that uh, Miles was. Uh, did you want to ask the question here? Sure. Um, About the parameters they place. Yeah. Um, now, when you write a Star Trek novel or, or any genre series, um, like what parameters are put on you as an author when you're writing a book? Okay. Well, with with Star Trek, which I'll I'll you know speak to first, uh, that one is a pretty tight. Universe. I mean, the, well, the first rule is the movies are canon, the TV show is canon, the books are not. Mm-hmm. So nothing we do in the books can contradict anything that's been seen on screen. Mm-hmm. We can bend it, but at the end, it's all got to go back on the shelf the same way you got it. Right. So uh, I mean, you know, people and and trust me, Trek Trek E's and Trek Ers. Both will let you know in a heartbeat if you haven't gotten it right. <laughs> now, as, as Keith likes to point out, that's the editor's job to make sure it doesn't get that far. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, we you we do a lot of research. I mean, for the uh, for the uh, story I did for Next Gen, which was I, I did one set in the second season, and even though I had it, I, I basically had to pick out between this show episode and this episode is when mine's falling. So I had to make sure that anything that had happened up to that point, I, I, I didn't have to necessarily write about it, but I, if there were certain little events that would have led up to this point, I had to be sure and kind of reference back to them. Uh, I mean, a lot of the Star Trek guys actually go to the trouble to, uh, they post on their websites like, you know, well, you know, on page such and such, you know, this came from, you know, this episode or this, you know, they actually do a uh, kind of a uh, annotated uh, listing. I've never gotten quite that bad mm-hmm. with mine, but uh, but apparently a lot of the fans like, like seem to like that 
knowing where all the stuff came from. I but it's but it's really you do it and then you send it off to the editor and if he approves it, then it goes to Paramount licensing. And if they say, eh, that ain't quite right, then it goes back to me and we start all over again until we until uh and that happens from the pitch, the uh chapter breakdown, and then all the way up to the very final product. If you can be all the way done with the book, have everything done, and have somebody at licensing go, eh, not quite. And you've got to start over again. Mm-hmm. All that work. <laughs> but that's why, see, that's why you got to, like I said, if, if you're doing your prep time ahead, though, and, you know, that's why, you know, you, you know, you, you buy the videos, you, uh, you know, you watch specific episodes over and over again just to try and get that rhythm of how people talk. Mm. Now, I contrast that with, my uh, Gauntlet Dark Legacy. Midway was just happy to get a book. So I, I sent notes up to my editor like, okay, what's the name of the elf? We don't know. We don't care. Okay, how about can I use this uh, character as, as, the big, as the boss? Yeah, it works for us. I mean, it was like 95% my work and about five percent Gauntlet Dark Legacy. They were they were beyond they were so easy to work with, which was uh, definitely not. I'm not saying that that the Simon Schuster guys are hard to work with, but they were very cautious. You know, no Picard wouldn't say that. No Riker wouldn't say that. You know, I mean, you got to get it squared away. Mm-hmm. And Midway, I guess because probably because it's it's more of a game. Uh, Midway was a lot more laid back as far as now just tell a story, set it in our world, you know, but the only the only rule I had was don't do a dungeon crawl. Don't play the game and just describe what's happening in each room. They said, you know, write an actual story based on our game. Hmm. So, you know, I've had both extremes. Right. Well, really the wine the wine uh, forces you really to uh, it both forces you to either a understand the world that you're writing in and in the, in the other stream, you, you know, in some ways create that world. And, right. Uh, and and that, I think that both have their, uh, both would seem just as uh, daunting as of a task in some ways. And, and, and I've talked to a couple of the people who've written for Star Wars, whereas the books in Star Wars are literally equivalent to what you see on the screen. Now, Star Wars is a little easier because there's only six movies. Three right. if you're a purist, and we kind of ignore the last three. Right. But um, so everything they do has to be approved by Lucas at one point or another. And so, I mean, that would be like me having to submit a Star Trek story and have Gene, you know, if Gene was still around, have Gene Roddenberry say, yeah, that's right. Hmm. Um, so uh, it's uh, it, it, to me that the Star Wars books would be even more daunting because now you know the guy who did it is approving or disapproving your work. Right. Right. Something I want to ask you about Star Trek. Um, this is a relationship to the, the new movie. Um, I heard that there were some novels based on the new movie, but they're kind of on the shelf right now. Uh, um, that is, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Can, can you comment uh, on that? Well, I mean, I, I, I'm not, you know, privy to any, any conversations again. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, but uh, what I understand is that with the, the second Star Trek movie coming out, um, 
J.J. Abrams was really concerned that books that were, that might be launched between the book, between the movies, mm-hmm. would contradict some of the stuff that he had planned for the second movie. Mm-hmm. And so he was kind of like, he wanted to get the first movie and the second movie out, and then if people wanted to write about what happened in between, that would be fine. Okay. But... You know, he he didn't want a movie and then a bunch of books and then because that's what happened with Star Wars is you know we had the first book and then you had like Splinter of the Mind's Eye and some of these others and then the second movie came out and completely wiped out everything that was in those early books because none of that was right and he's trying to, I think he's kind of trying to avoid some of that and I can understand that. I think it's very unfortunate for the authors whose books were uh, put on uh, on hold because I know, uh, you know, that's um, it would have been really nice to have that paycheck this year. Oh, sure. Well, um, well I know as a reader, I, I, I read the Star Trek novels. I've been doing so for about 20 years, and um, it would have been really nice to read something from the, the new Star Trek universe. Well, and, and I, I mean, the, the books have not been canceled to the best of my knowledge. I mean, I haven't. I haven't heard anything otherwise. Mm-hmm. They're just they're just on abeyance, and what will probably happen is is when the second movie comes out, they may have to go back in and make some, you know, a few much changes just again so they don't contradict the second one, mm-hmm. and then they should be released. But it's just a matter of when the next movie comes out, right? But yeah, I, I mean, I, I was I, I knew some of the, I knew the the I mean, I saw some of the authors they had lined up for the uh, what I'm, I'm kind of calling it uh, Trek Prime, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, um, it, uh, I mean, it looked, it looked like they were going to be some really good stories in there. Mm-hmm. I know David Allen Mack was one of them, right? Yeah. He was one. And, uh, I don't know, I don't know any of the others. But... I don't know if, if, yeah, I don't know if any of the others who had, I mean, I mean, David Allen Mack told us he had, he had one yeah. out for it already. Um, well, can I ask you, I mean, uh, what were your thoughts on the new Star Trek movie? I thought for a reboot, it was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know a lot of people were like going, "Oh, they've, you know, they've, uh, you know, they've taken the old Star Trek and they've ripped it up and yada yada." I said, "No, old Star Trek is there. You will see books still written in the original Star Trek universe. What they've done is they've basically caused a time split." Right. I kind of, I kind of liken it to Earth One, Earth Two for DC Comics. You have Star Trek and then you have Star Trek Prime, which is the Abrams stuff, and. You know, he can go off and he's rebooting it and it's, it's a, a younger Star Trek. It's, uh, I mean, the cast is much younger. I mean, cause, you know, in the original McCoy was, and Spock were both significantly older than Kirk. Right. You know, uh, now everybody's roughly about the same age. And it's, um, I, I think the, and I think the modern audiences, uh, will, will enjoy the new adventures of, uh, Kirk and Spock, and it doesn't take a darn thing away from what I watched when I was a kid. Yeah, I feel the same way. Last year, last year's a shore leave. Um, one of the writers' panels. Um, I was curious what 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 your fellow writers thought of the movie, and with very few exceptions, um, you know, they they defended it, and you know, um, were able to, you know, because some lot. I mean, a lot of fans are asking questions. What about this? What about this? And for the most part, they were able to. Um, Say well, remember this in the original series when this happened and stuff, and uh, um, you know, um, and also just stressing also, like you said, this is a new universe that's 
been created. It's, it doesn't do anything with the old universe. It's still there. It, yeah. it's, I, mean, I mean, there's still going to be Deep Space Nine books written. There's still mm-hmm. going to be Next Gen books written. Nothing's, you know, it's just it's just another way to look at Star at Star Trek. Right. I, very clever way to yeah, you know. I was just going to say that reboot reboot the franchise, but still, you know, but not the original intact. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and I know a few people had you know some grouses like oh sure they they release Kirk on the only place that that old Spock just happened to be okay look it's a movie right <laughs> things happen because if they really wanted to do it you know the movie would be like seven hours long and people would be falling asleep halfway through it you mm-hmm. know sometimes you just gotta bend the the laws of physics right you can't break them but you can bend the heck out of them I believe is Scotty's point. I think there was a deleted scene in the in the movie where where Spock Prime says something, sort of to allude to that that the universe is trying to, I don't know, um, correct itself, so to speak. And so I mm-hmm. mean, they had to, you know, it was not there because of time, but it was so that they did try to address that. Um, yeah. But now, if you could write in any of the Star Trek incarnations over the years, what would be your what would be the what would be the era that you would like to write in? My first choice right now is I would love to do some Deep Space Nine because unlike all the other episodes or all, all the other uh, versions, this one was the more like a drama because Trek, Next Gen, Voyager, Enterprise were episodic. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, you might have a two or three part episode. We won't talk about that time war thing in Enterprise. We'll just ignore that. But for the most part, you know, what happened one week did not affect what happened the next week. Mm-hmm. Unless it was something that they were setting up an, a, a, another show, like, you know, with Luxwana. You know, she would bring up something. You remember last time I was here, yada, yada. Okay, but, it, it, but what happened in between there had nothing to do with her last visit. On Deep Space Nine, if you missed an episode... You tune back in and go, what the heck? When did that happen? And everything that happened had an effect on, you know, on the show. And I would love to be able to, to get a chance to do something with that. I know for me as a Star Trek fan, I mean, I love all the incarnations, but I think Deep Space Nine probably is the strongest out of all of them. For the reasons you said, it was... Uh, um, now, that being said, I have a wonderful noir story I'd love to do with the original series. Okay. Which with a kind of a putting Kirk and Spock in a situation where it's almost like out of something that uh, Mickey Spillane or uh, Dashiell Hammett might have written. Okay. But uh, again, those are some things I'm going to have to pitch to the, uh, to the uh, editor when I, next time I see him. Right. Right. Who knows? Who knows what will happen? But that sounds, you know, I have, I, you know, I'm trying to remember. As I've, I've talked to people over the past, I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna admit this. We, some, we seem to have some uh, music going over top of us. Ooh, where? I don't hear any music. Dun, dun. I can say. Yeah. Okay, no, no, you, something was being played there in the background. Ooh, that's all right. No biggie. Yeah, no biggie. We'll work around it. Yeah, I don't. I, I'll see. It. Maybe I'll hear it when I'm editing. We'll see. Okay. Um, you know. I, I came in, Miles is really the, the Trek man here. I, I came into Trek much later in life. I didn't grow up in Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, 
fact, I grew up without a television until I was a senior in high school, which is probably a wow. good thing. Well, I read a lot. <laughs> I read a ton. You know, I read, I mean, I read, I devoured our library science fiction section and, uh, you know, got books on loan and bought books and, you know, so I, a lot of reading in science fiction, uh, but didn't get into like television and movies till much later in life. Uh, and because of that, I missed a lot of, I missed a lot of Star Trek and I missed a, and I, and I never, and because I didn't have that premise, I didn't, you know, end up watching a lot of Star Trek was on. So I've just begun the past week to go back through and begin to watch. I'm starting at next generation and, and, and at the very beginning of the series, just work my way through it. Um, and so I look forward to all these new worlds I have to explore, including Deep Space Nine, which I don't know if I ever saw any of that series. I'm trying to remember. I know I saw a lot of Voyager, mm-hmm. uh, and I saw some episodes of Next Gen. I didn't see any of Enterprise. But. I, I, so I, I, I watched a few episodes of Enterprise, and I know Enterprise has some incredibly rabid fans. Right. But I just I just never warmed up to it for some reason. And I, I mean I don't I'm I'm not saying that the acting was bad, I'm not saying the stories were bad, but it's just something about it and I just never clicked. That being said, it did have a couple of really interesting episodes that I watched. I, I so love the one with the uh uh Vulcans and Andorans when the when it looked like the you know the Andorans were attacking this Vulcan monastery and the Enterprise crew just happened to be there and it turned out to be this uh Deep space listening post for Vulcan after all, you know, and and to which the Vulcan on the ship, she's like, you know, I can't believe you all are doing this. And then he said, you didn't have a need to know. Why would I tell you this? And she's like, but, but I'm the, you know, and he goes, but you had no need to know. Hmm. And she's just, I mean, it was kind of fun because she'd always been so, you know, hoity, you know, I'm a Vulcan, you're a human, you know, you're, and all of a sudden she found out that, yeah, she might be Vulcan, but that didn't mean a whole lot to the other Vulcans necessarily. Hmm. I watched Enterprise. I mean, um, it, it's not my favorite. Like, I, I, there were some good episodes. I thought season four. I don't know if you had a chance to see season four, um, but I thought they did a pretty good job with that when they brought in uh, Manny Kuto and uh, uh, what's the, the, the husband and wife duo that also became writers. That I, the names elude me at the moment, but that really felt like Star Trek when uh, they they came on board. I thought. Right, right. I mean, it was like I said, there was something in there, like I said, when they started that whole temporal war thing back on season three, that things just kind of started going downhill. Yeah, and they kind of, I mean, it seemed like they um, they, they almost were changing canon in some ways. I mean, with the things they did with the Vulcans and season four, they almost had to do some damage control, so to speak, to sort of bring it back to way, okay, this is the direction that could be going and the way we'll see it in the original TV series. Right, which was which was actually uh, you know kind of sad when it got canceled because it, it really felt like they were getting their feet back underneath them. Right. When it got canceled, it was sort of like, oh man, now they're starting to tell the good stories. Yeah, now now they get it, and it's, it, it was too late by that point. Mm. Yeah. But at least then they never had the third season of the original series, so um, there were some really not good stories in in that year. Right. I mean, from what I've read, I mean, their budget got cut and, um. Oh, they, they, they all, well, yeah, because, I mean, the, uh, the first two seasons, I mean, they had, you know, incredible, uh, science fiction authors writing for them. Mm-hmm. And then by the end, it was just sort of like, you know, yeah, we got another year, but we know we're going to get canceled and we don't have any budget. So let's just, you know, let's just throw something up there. Yeah. And, and I mean, and I, I mean, I, I felt sorry for the cat. I mean, especially now, re- going back and reading, 
you know, I've read like uh, David Gerald's, you know, like the making of Star Trek and some of the ones like that. And man, you can just feel the air getting sucked out of the of of the actors because mm-hmm. they're they're up there and they're really trying to do their best, but there's just this cloud of doom hanging over their head while they're while they're going through the going through the episodes. Yeah, and and the network would just seem to want to, you know. They didn't understand it, and they didn't. They just didn't want it. Right. So they're going to kill it. And 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 then they then they went out into syndication and made millions and millions and millions of dollars. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, Richard, we do have to uh, work at work toward bringing our show to a close here. Uh, sure. Before we do that, you're gonna you're gonna be at Shore Leave 32 this year, right? Yes. What are you looking forward to this year as you're thinking about ahead about going to Shoreleave? I know we're like two, three months out here, two months, I guess, out from that. What are you look, what are you looking forward to? Well, again, the first thing is just getting a chance to catch up with some of the, uh, some of the authors because, you know, we do, some of us talk on the, uh, uh, Star Trek bulletin board. Uh, some of us, uh, talk, you know, visit on Twitter and things like that, but it's just, it, that's not the same thing as, as actually just getting a chance to hang out and, you know, I, I get to see how, you know, I think Dayton will be bringing his kids again. I get to see, you know, how much they've grown since the last time I saw them. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, I mean, it's just fun to hang out with and then meeting the fans because there is something about going to a convention and just hanging out that gets my creative juices going. I mean, I, I mean, I get energized and I'm like, I come out of the convention going, I cannot wait to write this story because I mean, you know, because it's just I'm feeding off off all the positive energy that comes out of a convention. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Richard, and can, tell people where they can find you, maybe on Twitter or Facebook, or where they can go ahead and buy your book. Okay, um, I'm usually found on my uh, my blog is nightwolfwriter at livejournal or nightwolfwriter.livejournal.com. And on Twitter, I can be found as Nightwolf Writer. Uh, Nightwolf Graphics being my uh, old uh, comic book company I had back in the 90s. Mostly my books, like I said, can be found uh, Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, uh, SimonandSchuster.com uh, has uh, links to them. So uh, that's that's probably the best places to look me up. All right. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for... Uh for joining us tonight, and uh, we look forward to meeting you at Shoreleave. I'm looking to forward to meeting you guys. Yeah. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Richard White. Oh, by the way, he's still here to give us our Sci-Fi 5 and 5. Richard, why don't you go ahead and take it away? All right, I'd like to go over the in my opinion, the five best science fiction movies before Star Wars. Okay. First one I'm going to start off with is Fantastic Planet. Just an incredible, incredible movie. I loved, you know, it was one of the first ones I remember watching as a kid. Um, The original, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Just, you know... The ideas behind that movie, while as a kid it was just fun to watch, but as I've gotten older, I look back at it now going, oh, that is so subversive. It was just incredible at the time, what they got away with. George Powell's The War of the Worlds. Uh, Clark's uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, Absolutely. 
mean, you, I mean, you just can't go wrong with the black monolith. And for my, uh, and for my, uh, unusual choice at number five would be them. There's just something about giant ants <laughs> as the villain. And the fact that they actually showed scenes of Los Angeles with the streets completely empty. Now, if that ain't sci-fi, I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's like the streets of DC being empty or something. Oh yes. <clears throat> but those would be my those would be my uh, five best sci-fi movies before Star Wars. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say before Star Wars because that you know Star Wars really just kind of changed the whole science fiction landscape when they came out of the scene. Oh yeah, because I mean, because you know, going from Star Wars, you get—it's easy. You know, you got Star Wars, you got your Blade Runner, you've got uh, you know Star Trek, the original, oh, well, the second movie specifically, uh, and and on from there. But yeah, back when they had to work with the uh, older animation and older uh, techniques, and we're still able to, to make it look like a science fiction movie. That's that's why I found it to be you know so much fun about the old movies. Well, thank you for, <clears throat> thank you. I don't hit puberty again. Thank you for, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you for sharing your, uh, stuff by five and five. Thank you very much. Again, thanks for having me on. Well, Miles, we have got to wrap up this show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this show, a lot, lot of interview tonight, not maybe as much news as we were planning on, but we are going to, but if you want to find out all the news stories we were going to talk about and maybe a little bit more detail about the ones that we, uh, we did talk about, you can visit us at the sci-fi diner podcast.com. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you can obviously find us, oh, on Facebook, right, Miles? We have a fan page on Facebook. Yeah, we'd we'll love to have you join and participate in that. Please you do. You can find us on Twitter. We're, yeah. we're active mm-hmm. and floating about there. Where can, what's your Twitter handle, Miles? Uh, Son of Wharf. That's where. Yep. And I am the sci-fi diner. I am the sci-fi diner. Ooh. You can find me, yes. Ooh. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Sci-Fi Diner, you can find me on Twitter as a Sci-Fi Diner or Herzog. I check both Twitter accounts. I actually have three Twitter accounts floating, but uh, the other one doesn't really apply to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast, does it? (laughs) Um, And uh, please leave a positive review on iTunes. We'd love to have that. We have got to get out of here, Miles. We are running long again. We try to keep the show at about an hour, and we do so fairly unsuccessfully. There's just too much to talk about. There is too much to talk about in the Mm -hmm. Sci-Fi world. But, Miles, why don't you take us out? Well, folks, until then, good night and good luck. We'll see ya. Right. We got last, uh, last year's uh, shore leave when uh, they roasted him. They ripped him a new one. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> he, he gives pretty good, so I'm looking forward to see how he gets. <laughs> well, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be good. At- But uh, I'll be definitely hanging around, and of course doing bar trek afterwards. Oh, of course, of course. I mean, that's 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 the real reason we go to the con. The the day part of the con is for the fans. The night part of the con is. I'm surprised how many deals get made in the bar. As far as editors meeting writers, writers meeting, you know, buying agents, drinks, etc., etc.
I've been really lucky. I mean, I haven't met any of the Star Trek authors that I just that I uh, wouldn't want to hang out with, even if we weren't authors. So that and that's that's not probably something that can be said for a lot of uh, a lot of organizations. Hmm. Yeah. And maybe that says something about the the writers that are into writing Star Trek too. I think it could very well be because I mean we I mean we all have a I mean a real love for the show. And uh, and even though we have different takes on it, because I mean I certainly have a different take on Star Trek than say Christopher Bennett, but I mean we can we can pretty much agree that you you may look at it differently, but that doesn't mean your your point is invalid. You know, whereas uh, some I won't say necessarily writers groups, but definitely some fan groups. If you don't agree with them, oh, they will let you know that you are you are not only wrong, you are horribly mistaken. Well, mm-hmm. Yeah. Did I say that politically correct enough? I think so. I think so. <laughs> I think you were sensitive enough that you shouldn't yes. offend anybody. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, and if you do, well, whatever. Yeah, whatever. whatever. <laughs> yeah. Let, 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 let them deal with it. Well, you know, and I think what, I think one of the things that the Star Trek universe does do is, uh, universe, if that's the way you want to refer to it, is that it does give an instant commonality among the authors, or and among the fans for that matter. Oh, yeah, just, because... Yeah, I mean, because I mean, there's no question because, I mean, like you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, David and Keith, uh, Terry, some of the other people are, you know, obviously they are true New York City people. You know, I'm definitely an old Midwest, you know, country boy. Uh, you know, some of the other authors are, you know, scattered all around the world. We've got some British authors, but we all, I mean, at least when we start off with, we have the one thing in common and then it gives us a chance to, you know, learn you know what? What else we have in common? Oh yeah, absolutely. Where are you? Where are you from in the Midwest? Oh, I'm from I'm from Missouri originally. Oh, okay. Yeah, I uh, went to school in Kansas. That's my uh, biggest claim to the Midwest. Okay. Ku or K State? Oh, actually, it was a little small school in the town of Heston, Kansas, okay. which is about two hours two hours west of Kansas City. Okay, gotcha. About an hour from Wichita. So okay. Yeah, I, I I grew up in uh, Columbia, Missouri, which is weird because now I live in Columbia, Maryland, but um, <laughs> which is really confusing at times. Right. And uh, but yeah, but uh, so I, I was well induced into the Missouri, Kansas. Uh, Thou shalt not speak nicely of the other state. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they have a little rivalry, don't they? Just a touch. Just, just a, touch. a touch. Interesting. Uh, all you need to do is get Dayton on that war path, and it all goes to hell from there. <laughs> I find a, a, you know a couple a couple of good beers and we we can send him down on we can get usually get him on a good rant. <laughs> oh, we've had him on the show a few times and we've gotten him on a good rant. 